Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. Jim Henson here, back from a short vacation. Yeah, that was reasonable, I guess. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ross Ramsey for visiting last week and thank Josh Blank in person. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. For running the show last week. Um, Josh is back again today, so he gets thanked in person. Ross will never hear this, but maybe I'll thank him at some point. Uh, This week, we're back on the story that is dominating state politics, the ongoing special session of the legislature, which is more or less meeting our expectations so far. So so where are we? In summary, the Senate has been busy, but the House less so, right? That's right. So of the the 20 items on the special session call, I think the Senate has, you know, by current tallies, you know, we'll get into how you would... <laughs> the Senate's moving little... so, fast, so fast they could yeah, have passed two things while, yeah. we, how, well, while, while we record, record yeah. So I think they've passed 14 of 20, is what we'll say at this point, uh, and basically a little bit over, you know, a week and a half, I guess, at this point, or about right. a week. Uh, you know, and this isn't surprising, I mean, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, we knew the House was less, you know, amenable to this. The Senate just generally moves faster or can move a lot faster than the House can move. You know, it's the difference between, you know, in terms of size of the body. Yeah, certainly in the modern world, especially. Certainly in the modern world, right? Um, You know, but also the other side of it, too, is, you know, the House is is a lot more lukewarm towards a lot of these issues. So it's not as though you would expect them to take the first step in a lot of this stuff. So, I mean, the reality is, as the process works, as you guys are kind of becoming more and more aware of, you know, Senate will pass the bill, it'll go to the House. At that point, you know, a lot of things could happen. But in the way that we understand the process is like the, you know, the the normative way the process is supposed to work, I guess. Well. The bill, get, yeah, I don't know. I should, I should, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure it's normative. Let's see, the diagram textbook way the process is supposed to work. The bill gets referred to a committee in the House, and then the House members will debate that bill, and they'll make changes to it, and they'll adjust it. For those who fantasize about the legislature, the fantasy version of how the legislature might work, or at least fantasize about the legislative process, and we'll leave that right there. Yeah. Um, So so process-wise, what we've seen then is is late last week and over the weekend— the Senate really got to it. You've had a lot of Senate Senate committee hearings. The Senate had committee hearings over the weekend, mm-hmm. which is, you know, fairly unusual to the extent that you usually only see that towards the end of the regular session. You see it during the special session if they're really trying to get something done. But the Senate was clearly trying to send a signal, we're the worker bees, we're down with the governor's agenda, mm-hmm. we're going to help make this 20 for 20 thing happen if we can. And so you probably saw at least some headlines or some some news out in the in the ether about the hearing on the bathroom bill the committee hearing in the Senate on the bathroom bill Friday which went on for 10 hours lots of public testimony lots of coverage uh, wound up after about 10 hours I think with the committee passing the bill on not quite a party line vote because one of the Democrats, uh, Senator Eddie Lucio, who votes with the Republicans frequently on social issues and has been with them all along on this, pretty much, uh, voted for the bill in committee, which moved the committee to the floor of the House. 
other committee hearings happened during the weekend, probably most notably a big hearing on property taxes that took place uh, Saturday, I think. I listened right. to it for a while and I, I couldn't quite. It's hard to keep. I mean, and one of the things it's hard to keep up. Ross mentioned this last week. You know, the the rules still apply to greater or lesser extent, and the fact is, you know, the buildings to be laid out over three days. But what that is meaning in 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 practical terms is one. You know, committee hearings are getting stacked one on top of the other, or overlapping with each other, and a lot of these votes are taking place basically after twelve oh one a.m. Right. Right. So because it'll just get to that next day. So it's been pretty consistent so far for the Senate to be holding votes basically in the midnight hour. Right. Yeah. And just to fill that out, the bill layout is when the sponsor lays the bill before the or the chair lays the bill before the committee, and then you've got to lay the bill out, and then the rules say that there's got to be an interval, uh, ostensibly for deliberation and public input before right. you can actually uh, uh, pass the bill out of committee. You know, as Josh says, so when Josh says, you know, a lot of these bills pass at twelve oh one, it's very often just to hit. The passage just as soon as you can and move it on because of, of course, as we've talked about all along uh, this semester, the, the lieutenant governor is trying to send Republican voters a signal and the governor a signal that he is, at least in a public sense, that he is very supportive of the agenda. This was especially the case, obviously, with the bathroom bill. Now, things have been moving much more slowly in the Texas House of Representatives. Right. So far, it seems like the only thing, the things that the House have accomplished is they've moved the sunset bills, the two sunset bills. Right. And they basically held hearings over, you know, the property, basically the property tax reform, you know, broadly, which involves, you know, a ton of different possible bills and, you know, iterations of what that could mean. And those have been the most notable things that the House has done besides basically meeting for such a short period of time. Right. And it's, you know, it. You know, we talked about how the lieutenant governor is sending a signal by, you know, cracking the whip on the Senate, basically, and getting all this stuff going very rapidly. The speaker has been sending a signal of its own. And I, you know, I was traveling, but kind of watching this. And it was funny getting the updates saying, you know, the House is gaveled in at 10. And then 20 minutes later, the House is adjourned until tomorrow at middle of the day. So yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. I mean, you think about, you know, you're just talking about how the Senate was meeting all weekend and having these, you know, back to back to back committee hearings and, you know, long hours of testimony. And on Friday, I think, you know, there was, you know, basically a news alert that said, well, the House has met, the House is adjourned till Monday. Right. <laughs> and that basically kind of explains what it's looked like so far. Right. So so put it this way, the members of the House of Representatives had a much nicer weekend than the yeah. members of the Senate. Um, you know, one thing I, I kind of want to add to this a little bit that, that we hadn't talked about before we went in, Josh, but I think is important to know because you were talking about the – or we were talking about the fantasy version of how mm-hmm. the House worked. One thing you want to watch that is likely to happen is this is the signals that are coming out of the House, and we saw it with the sunset bill, is mm-hmm. that – if everybody was on the same page, what you'd see is the Senate sending the House bills, the House then taking those up if they really wanted to pass them, debating those Senate, you know, substituting those bills and being able to pass them, mm-hmm. and they're not and passing an, or passing an identical version mm-hmm. so that there doesn't have to be a conference committee. Right. What it looks like is going to happen is if you think about the House, if you visualize the House on one side and the House on the Senate. They're going to be sending bills over to each other, and each chamber is going to be telling the other, okay, here's our version of this bill, you know, have at it. Mm-hmm. So the Senate passes a bill over, the House is now going to, ha- is going to send its version back and say, okay, you guys, here's the bill. And the main thing to remember about this is, you know, there's nothing crazy about that. I mean, that's basically no, the, the way, way the process, the process works. works. But 
there's 30 total days right now to do this. Right. And so the idea of ironing out these differences that were, you know, as we again discussed last week, that were pretty present during the regular session in which they had right. 140 days to do this have not dissipated in the meantime. So, I mean, with the, the thing, I mean, the practical consequence in a lot of ways is going to be the House is going to move at its own pace. They're going to send bills back to the Senate that are probably not identical to what the Senate passed. And really, the Senate's going to have to decide. Do we concur and pass this bill or not? Right. And basically, in some ways, like, you know, do we take a win, even if it's not exactly what we wanted, the win being passing mm-hmm. something? And with the clock ticking very loudly, mm-hmm. or do we have to not concur, go to conference, and probably not get anything. I mean, and you know, try to work it out and split the difference in in conference committee. You know, it's something. Everything takes time. Right. Right. So, so that's something else to watch is that there are subtle ways in which the chambers are communicating their antipathy towards each other, and you know, if you watch, they're not they're not so subtle. So, um, we also want to talk a little bit. We're gonna you know, wouldn't be the second reading podcast if we didn't get into the institutional weeds a little bit. But I I think it is. Well, see, worth the, fir- the first about. reading is just the newspaper. See, so we, right. we have to I go mean, we have to go deeper. Right. That's you know, Jonathan Tylove. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, um, We'll asterisk that, and we'll, we'll. Now I feel like we have to bring Jonathan in before this is over. He's already told me he won't do it. <laughs> he can't commit to actually being somewhere at a certain time. Well, you know, we'll lean on him a little more. Okay. Jonathan Tylove is the senior political reporter for the Austin American Statesman, who we, we do a lot of stuff with. Um, there was an interesting point of debate on the Senate floor yesterday. Is that a, uh, yesterday being Tuesday, given hopefully, the, the recording an, of this. Hopefully an illustrative point. Yeah, an illustrative point, I think. So as the Senate, and the Senate did several hours of debate on the floor yesterday on the final, on passage of the bathroom bill uh, on the Senate floor with all the senators there, you know, weighing in if they, they wanted. That bill was sponsored by State Senator Louis, uh, Lois Kolkhorst from Brenham. And as they were debating that bill, there was... A, a debate happened in a, in a couple of procedural moves that really illustrated how the separation of powers and interpretations of the separation of powers among the different branches can really play out in the legislative process and how different actors in the process have different views and different interpretations of those that, that affect how things operate. So uh, as the bill was being debated, Senator Kirk Watson from Austin, a, a Democrat, raised a point of order, which is uh, a procedural motion that try, that cites something is going on that is a violation of the rules that's related to the bill that can result in the bill being either pulled or or failing in some way, being ruled out of order, if that point of order is sustained by the presiding officer, in this case, lieutenant governor, typically on the advice of the parliamentarian. And the parliamentarian, in this case, is Karina Davis, and their interview snippets with Ms. Davis in the course material that you you may have already gotten to, and if you haven't, you will. Um, and what Watson, the point of order that Rots, that Watson, the Senator Watson raised, said that the portion of the bathroom bill that Colcourse, the Senator Colcourse, had inserted, that said that essentially um, the birth certificate criteria for public facilities access should also be applied to athletic activities. So in other words, if you were wanted to participate in women's sports or men's sports, you had that which uh, gender of the sport you participated in would be determined by the gender of your birth certificate. And I'm sure you've probably, I mean, maybe right. you've seen some articles about this issue coming up. I think right. there was a wrestler in Texas who won, I guess, the girls, you know, state. I mean, it's kind of, the, the, it's actually right. on the opposite way in some ways. I think 
yeah. I don't want, I don't remember all the details of yeah. it, but essentially, you know, there's been some I, issues I believe, here. I believe that it was a transgender boy who wanted to complete compete in male athletics. Right. They would not let him because the birth because her birth gender was female, and so She's wound up competing your... on the women's side and you know beat won, everybody. I think she won the state championship. Yeah, she won the state championship. Or she or or one whatever the level. It's of complicated. Championship. And I don't follow high school wrestling very closely. Yeah. So. Um, I used to. So Watson, you know, so so back to the point. So Watson basically said that the bill was defective and raised the point of order saying that that provision did not fit under the call that the governor issued because the governor's uh, reference to a bathroom bill essentially didn't touch on athletics Right, it was actually very specific. It was just about regulating policies within multi-occupancy, like restrooms, changing rooms, or other like facilities of undress. So what you got out of that was a, a very interesting debate in which, which turned in many ways on whether the, you know, on on how much the legislature had to follow the letter of the governor's order for a special session or whether once a subject was put on the call that the legislature had how much how much latitude the legislature had to pass to to engage in laws within that area so they went to the senate rules as part of this discussion and found a series of cases that, you know, I, I think was still left it open to interpretation. But the Senate adopt and the parliamentarian and the presiding officer adopted the position that, in fact, this provision was generally related to the call and so was a legit mm-hmm. exercise in this. I suspect we're going to see this point of order again. Oh, yeah. Um, in, on the House side, should the bill ever get heard over there. But what it really brought out was that, you know, this issue of separation of powers, which we think of as a kind of broad constitutional principle, can really affect how things operate on the ground and really has meaning that can be substantively debated. I mean, right. I mean, if you were basically an alien who landed in Texas two weeks ago and you were really interested in the space legis- alien, space alien. Oh, good call. A space alien who landed in Texas two weeks ago and you saw the beginning of this legislative process, you might think, oh, wow, the governor is so powerful. Like, I mean, he comes, I mean, let's say you're interested in government institutions and he, you know, he basically, he lays out these very specific calls that now the legislature has to go and act on. And then if you landed a week later, you'd say, oh no, the legislature is where the power is because really they only have to generally, basically pass bills that generally relate to this. Right. And who determines whether they generally relate to this? Well, the presiding officer of the body with the advice of the parliamentarian, you know, that's a lot of leeway, right? Right. And so you're kind of seeing that get illustrated really clearly, right? And we were kind of talking about the arc of um, uh, Greg Abbott's approach to this special session. And it's interesting because we were talking last week again about how he'd come out kind of swinging, saying, you know, look at how much money I have. I'm running for re-election. I'm going to keep names of people, you know, who are with me. And I want to pass 20 of these items. Right. And I've called the, you know, the legislature, which a couple of weeks ago I was calling a lazy failed legislature to come back and actually do their jobs. Right. And if you actually are following, I mean, it's harder to find it, even though he's been all over media. I think he had 30 media spots yeah. scheduled over like this last week. But if you're actually following what the governor has been saying this week, now it's very praiseworthy. You know, everybody's working. I mean, even the House right. that hasn't done much so far, he's saying, oh, no, they're coming along. We're not I keeping mean, a naughty list and a nice list. We're just keeping a nice list. It is true. They're just keep, essentially what We're just said. keeping a list of who's with us at this point, you know. And part of that the is— Interesting use of negative space. Right. 
But that change in tone is a real reflection of the fact that the ball's not in his court anymore. Right. right. And this little rule and this sort of rules debate illustrates, you know, not only how much, you know, le- latitude the legislature has in terms of actually fulfilling this call or not. Right. I mean, that's one aspect of it. But even within that, you know, how much, you know, the rules can be applied sort of selectively right. within that to either help or hinder what the majority party within that body right. even wants. And the, and the example here would be that uh, Senator Menendez, right, brought up that. When it came to the sunset provisions, some senators wanted to add provisions to those bills that would actually affect the way the agencies operate instead of just extending basically their existence. And the rule actually went – the way they ruled it was opposite, which was, well, that's not on the call. Right. So if that seems inconsistent, that's because it probably is. But it's also the way that the process actually works. And so it's – you know, so it's easy, I think, to break this often into – you know, I mean, what it raises, too, is, you know, the way that the institutions are organized – create lots of different axes of conflict that, you know, aren't the ones that we always, that get the most public shrift. I mean, I think the things that we've seen nationally, the big discussion of divisions, obviously, are party polarization, the differences between the parties. If you go to another, you know, level of kind of party conflict, there's lots of discussion of the factions within the Republican Party, factions within the Democratic Party, too, Mm -hmm. too, for that matter. But here, you know, you see that kind of not as relevant where you have basically, you know, two, you know, you could read the Watson coal course debate, even though there was clearly a party dimension there, you know, where Watson is trying to defeat this Republican initiative, but he's actually arguing for a more powerful, for a more powerful executive branch vis-a-vis the legislature where you have then the Republicans embracing an interpretation that is much more, you know, aimed at a kind of legislative latitude and supremacy. Right. And so this institutional cleavage is kind of a, a, a more relevant, interesting thing. And I would say this now, I mean, two things to note. On one hand, after all of that, it was basically a, a pretty straight party line vote. Mm-hmm. So for all the substance of that discussion, you know, everybody was still ultimately pretty much shaped by what the party imperatives were and the, and the way that the ideological positions on that particular issue, which is heavily partisan right now. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, I would say that as I was watching that debate, it was a reasonable evidence-based debate. You know, Watson made an argument based on his reading of the bill, on his reading of the Constitution, on a theory of separation of powers and institutions. Colcourse went to the rules. She and her allies discussed the court cases. They discussed issues of, I mean, I think Betancourt, Senator Betancourt from the Houston area also kind of actually mentioned, you know, this is about separation of powers and what the role of the legislature and preserving the role of the legislature. Whatever you thought about the issue, it was an unusually substantive debate at a time when we've seen not a lot of that. Yeah, but I mean, lest, lest you, you know hold your legislators in too high esteem, just to make clear, you know, it's not as though this therefore indicates that Senator Watson and, you know, Democrats writ large in the Texas Senate believe that the governor should have wide (laughs) and strong powers, right? This is an example of how, you know, both sides use the rules basically to their own, you know. And and ideas. But but I guess that's what I I was responding nicely about it. They were trying to to work, you know, to manipulate the rules. But there was also, you know, some glimmer that you should, that you could bend actual ideas with some substance to it 
rather than a bunch of, you know, what, what has often been the fact, particularly in this bathroom debate, and, you know, I, I would have to argue on more on one side than the other, you know, made up facts, fear, anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, not entirely examined predispositions, shall right. we say. So, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't want to say, hey, it was a moment of, you know, this is uh, Lincoln and Douglas going well, on in the floor of the well, Texas I mean, Senate. No, but... I don't, and, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty... <laughs> I'm pretty clear-eyed about what's really going on there, obviously, but also, and, I, and it doesn't, it's not meant to denigrate the, the, the debate. I mean, it was still an interesting debate whether or not tomorrow the two sides will be in the same positions, because they might be on the other <laughs> yeah. side of the debate, you know, making basically the other side's arguments. No, I think that, that's a pretty good point. I mean, I was, I, I was thinking that as like, I mean, will there be a point before too long where, you know, Senator Watson will be just as passionate, relentless, and, you know, Watson is a pretty good right. debater, trial lawyer, yeah. you know. Will he be, you know, as impressive arguing the other side before this is all over? Right. So you know, what, not out of the question. So what What do you know, I guess before we wrap up, what, what do you think we're going to see in the next, you know, week or two? I mean, I can kind of start to imagine. It's fun to make some predictions. Now well, that the, the House will almost... actually start being in for a little bit longer. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it'd be for, hard to for, be in for less long. For longer than 20 minutes or a half an hour. Right. Um, you know, I, well, I think we're going to start getting down to, this, to the serious horse trading and... We'll, we'll get a much clearer idea of how far the House is willing to play the string out of moving yeah. slowly and trying to, you know, force the Senate to compromise. And whether in the end uh, uh, the Senate the Senate will compromise on, on some of these things. I – it doesn't seem to me mm-hmm. like the incentive structure that drove and the political context that drove a lot of the regular session – has changed all that much. And I think, you know, it's going to be hard for us to know because I think some of this is going to happen behind the scenes. And this adds a nuance to this notion of kind of institutional process time and the cycle of gubernatorial influence. Yeah, I mean, the governor still can wield... I mean, it's almost like the sort of Damocles and whether the governor, you know, cuts, you know, drops it on the legislature or not. And that is two things. If they do pass things that are compromises that you know, he thinks don't aren't up to muster. Will he veto them? I think I he's think so. unlikely to veto things if they, if they actually make yeah, it out. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's unlikely to veto things. But you know, that is something that writ large they can wield. It's just not as useful a weapon given the configuration of politics and where he and Patrick are. Right. Or more likely, you know, more more relevant. Will he say I meant twenty for twenty? And if they pass some compromises, he signs them. But if it's not enough, he can call them back for another special session, mm-hmm. which certainly the House doesn't want. And while the Senate, the senators in public have to act like good troopers because the lieutenant governor says, is, well, we'll come back as long as it takes. It's not what any of the legislators themselves want. Right. I mean, I think the only person who loves to be here. In most here, cases. Seems like the only person who loves to be here in July is Dan Patrick. Pretty much. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to watch how much of the next week, once the Senate basically finishes its, you know, its first round of work, I'm really interested to see how much of, uh, you know, the major players here, Patrick and Strauss uh, and Abbott, you know, how much of their, their the way they proceed is sort of an inside game versus, you know, right. the outside game. How much of this is going to be public, you know, public scolding? Public or do they get a little more diplomatic in order to try to get some stuff done? Yeah, and that's yeah. that's kind of the next thing I'm really interested to see. What yeah, happens. I mean, I, I think in terms of like the, the micro level things that you'll see, I mean, I think, you know, we've seen, you know, some level of debate, you know, we've seen this level of debate in the Senate. I think what we probably will start to see 
maybe early next week. Again, it depends on what the pace of the, the House is. Eventually, you know, one of the questions is going to is going to be once debate opens up in the House, you know, how much do the dissident kind of more ideologically conservative anti-Strauss forces in the House mm-hmm. make noise in the process? Right. And these are Republicans. Just and they are Repu- yeah, they are Republicans essentially allied with the lieutenant governor, broadly speaking. At least they're, ideologically. They're at least fellow travelers, yeah. if not, you know, explicit allies. So those are some things to watch. Uh, that's the second reading podcast for this week. I think we'll both be back next week. I plan I on being nowhere, here. I have nowhere to go. All right. And who knows? Maybe we'll have Jonathan Tylov in tow. But we'll just, probably We should not. invite him for the rest. And we'll, hopefully he'll come to one. He'll come to one. So thanks a lot. Have a good week. And you'll hear from us again for too much longer. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project and the Project 2021 Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin.